you have your copy of scripture, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, we are in the 7th chapter as we make our way through this book. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're looking at the latter part of this chapter this morning, and we're going to read together verses 17 to verse 40 to the end of the chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 to 40. And as usual, I know that you're going to find it helpful to have your own copy of Scripture open and to be reading along there with me. If you're using the church Bible, you'll find this on page 955. And before we um, look at God's Word and hear it preached this morning, let's pray and ask His blessing on it and ask Him to make us attentive and receptive to His Word this morning. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, again, we would bow before you and we would acknowledge that you are God and that you have given your word and that this is your word and that it is perfect, that it is that plumb line by which all things are tested, that it is uh, like uh, silver refined in a furnace seven times pure, that it is perfect and free from error that it is the infallible rule of our faith and our lives, that you have revealed in it everything that you want us to know for life and for eternity. We thank you, our God, that you have revealed your Son in it, that you have revealed those things that are necessary for us to be saved. And we pray that you would especially make those truths to come with great power and clarity to us, even if for the first time, Lord. We pray, Father, that you would... Do this for your namesake, that you would do it for your own glory, that you would do it because of your eternal decree, and that you would accomplish all your purposes in us and through us and for your own glory today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 7, beginning in verse 17 there, the Apostle Paul picking up on his uh, responses to the Corinthians about marriage and sexual relations and celibacy now says to the Corinthians, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his calls already circumcised? That means was he a Jew? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? That means was he a Gentile? Let him not seek circumcision, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. If you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a free man of the Lord. Likewise, he was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Now concerning the betrothed or the married, I have no commandment from the Lord. I'm sorry, betrothed there is engaged. Now concerning the engaged, I have no commandment from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Literally, are you bound in engagement to to a woman? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you haven't sinned. And if an engaged woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. 
This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, those who mourn as though they were not mourning, those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, those who buy as though they did not possess, those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from literally concerns. I don't like the ESV there, anxieties. I want you to be free from concerns. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord, but the married man is concerned about worldly things, how to please his wife. His interests are divided. And the unmarried or engaged woman is concerned about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is concerned about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion in the Lord. If anyone thinks he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has been, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let them marry, it is no sin." But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment... She is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I, too, have the Spirit of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Well, when I was in seminary, I read the biography of a guy named Samuel Davies. Samuel Davies was a Presbyterian church planter in the 17. Hundreds In the mid-1700s, he was called the Apostle to Virginia because he was the one that really brought Presbyterianism in an established way into Virginia at a period when America was developing just before independence. Davies came, and Davies was a very gifted, a very bright, and a very eloquent man. Davies had married a woman, um, had a young wife. And um, while Davies was traveling through Virginia as he was um, doing all kinds of itinerant preaching and church planning, his young wife died. Davies uh, will later write in the margin of his Bible the day when his young wife died and the day when his unborn son died. And as I read that as a young seminarian, I thought, how would I respond if my young wife and my unborn child were to die suddenly. Davies was in his 20s. Um, It doesn't take long in reading this biography to see that Davies actually, instead of deviating from the calling to which he was called, went more vigorously to work for the kingdom of God. And I remember marveling as I read that he wasted no time in continuing his ministry as a gospel minister and the calling to which he was called. Davies would go on. He would only live to 37. He would die very young. He would go on to take the gospel to thousands of slaves throughout Virginia. He would oftentimes go to England, and he would get theological books, and he would bring them back. And it was said 100 years after Davies had taken these books to the slaves, and he ministered especially to the slaves that he found he had a heart for the slaves throughout that area. He educated them. He educated them theologically. After his wife's death, 
it was said a hundred years after that you could go through the Shenandoah Valley and you would find hundreds of black theologians that were the result, the grandchildren, of Samuel Davies' continued ministry. Samuel Davies would go on to be the president of Princeton University, what is now Princeton University, the College of New Jersey. He would die at 37, and it would be said of him by the late Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, you Americans do not know one of your greatest preachers. Samuel Davies was a man who, though he lost his wife, Though he lost his unborn son, he understood the secret to Samuel Davies was that he understood two things. Number one, he understood his calling. And number two, he understood that the time was short. Davies would often write, I know that my time is approaching. He's a man that died at 37. I know that my time is approaching. And I can't help but think that Samuel Davies must have drawn strength from a portion of scripture like this. This passage, if you look at it on the surface, may seem like Paul's just talking about what about these people that are engaged? Should they get married? And he's just caught up with these menial little discussions about who should and who shouldn't get married. And you might miss that what Paul is really telling the Corinthians is that the time is short, that the time is short. Your lives are short. Your time is short. You need to know your calling in the Lord. You need to know that the time is short. You need to be resolute. You need not hold on to the things of the world too tightly. That's the point of this passage. And so Paul's going to develop what he's already been developing in this letter is he has been answering the Corinthians questions about whether it's okay to have sex, whether, you know, it's better to stay single, whether in all of these different situations. And what Paul's main concern is, is that the Corinthians had grown discontent. There was a pervasive discontentment in the heart of the Corinthians. You know, you and I should know that all too well, what it is to be discontent, to be restless, to want something else, to want something other than what we have, to want, to want more of something that we have, to want something different than what we have, to want to do something else because we're not finding contentment where God has called us. The Corinthians were not finding contentment where God had called them in their marriages. They were not finding contentment in their singleness. They were not con- finding contentment preeminently serving the Lord. So we're going to see this morning these two things. First is that we would know contentment in our Christian calling. And secondly, that we would know the brevity of life and the imminency of eternity. Notice that Paul in verse 17 uh, transitions in a kind of strange way. Because if you looked at this chapter, if you sat down and you outlined this chapter, you would see that the first 16 verses are all about sex and marriage and singleness. And then the last section of this from verses 25 on is about engagement and whether somebody should get married or not. So they're bookends. The chapter is bookends. And right in the middle is this strange transition where Paul says in verse 17, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. You see, again, Paul is dealing with discontentment. He sees that the Corinthians are deeply spiritually discontent people. He sees that at the core is not whether they really want to know if they can have sex or not, but the core is a discontented heart in the relationships in which God has put them, in the places where God has put them. Being content to be called by God and to be placed by God and to serve God in the positions and the places 
where they were put. And notice that Paul then sets out a couple, in a sense, hypothetical situations in verses 18 and following. First, he says, was anybody called while being a Jew? Don't seek to be a Gentile. Was anybody called as a Gentile? Don't seek to become a Jew. Jew and Gentile are one in Christ Jesus. There's no difference. Paul will actually say circumcision doesn't even mean anything anymore. That's what made a Jew a Jew. It doesn't even mean anything. He says it's nothing but having a heart for the Lord and obeying his commandments. So what Paul's doing is he's touching the nerve. He's touching the nerve. He's putting his finger in the wound, and that wound was that they were not wanting to serve the Lord in the callings in which they were called. They were wanting to serve themselves. You know, we have two options. We have two options. Serve yourself, serve the Lord. That's it. You're either serving the Lord or you're serving self. Um, You're either seeking the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom like Samuel Davies was, realizing that the time is short and even though my wife and unborn child may have just died, I have a calling and eternity is before me and I am to be content and to labor no matter how painful in that calling in which I've been called. And so Paul says, listen, just as you need to understand that in your social statuses, Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, notice free and Bond servant there in verse 20, he'll actually say, were you called as a bond servant? Don't seek to be loosed. Your meaning and your purpose in life are not dependent on your comforts. Let me say that your meaning and your purpose in life is not dependent on your comfort. That's one of the greatest lies that the world and the devil will tell you. If you're not happy, if you're not happy, you need to leave that. I don't think I'd be happy being someone's bond servant. Paul says, don't seek to be loosed unless you can. It's not ultimately about your happiness. Um, There's a woman that I know who has just left her family, three little kids, and run off with some other guy, pregnant with another child, and she wrote recently, I'm happy. I'm happy. You see, that's, that's the pervasive problem with the Corinthians. And Paul's saying it's not about your happiness. It's about contentment to be where God has placed you. Do you have a difficult marriage? God has placed you in that marriage. Do you have a difficult job? At least for now, God has placed you in that job. Paul's not saying you can never leave a job. He's not saying that. He's not saying you can never change your vocation. You get, that's legitimate. What he's saying is the bigger thing is your heart before the Lord. Uh, the Puritans would often say the matter of the heart. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. What's going on in the hearts of all men, but especially of believers, is what matters most. And so Paul says, listen, were you called as a bondservant? Don't seek to be loose. Notice what he does in verse 23, 22 and 23. He actually brings it back to the gospel again, which is so beautiful that Paul always does this. He says, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. See, there's nobody that's absolutely free. It's another great lie of our society. You're free. You do what makes you happy. No one can control you. You are either controlled by sin or by Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. Even if physically you were a physical indentured servant in bondage because of your indebtedness, or you were free physically and not anybody's physical slave, nevertheless, if you were called while free, Paul says, you are a bondservant of Jesus. That's the whole point of this text believers are bondservants of Jesus, and that means that we can stay in whatever situation and learn contentment. You know, I will say this, that this is extraneous to the text, 
Paul did say in Philippians, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. That's something that oftentimes has to be learned. Um, Godliness doesn't just happen spontaneously. Godliness takes exercise and discipline. It takes work. It takes time of meditation on scripture and prayer and and self-denial. Those things don't make you a Christian, but you grow as a Christian and you learn these contentments in that way. I'm sure that Samuel Davies had great struggles. In fact, one of his biographers notes that right after his wife died and he continued his ministry, he would go to bed with great sweats and fevers and all kinds of physical discomforts, no doubt from the emotional turmoil that he experienced. But Davies pressed on. He learned to be content in the calling to which God called him. I'm, I, I don't know where all of you are. Um, I do know that discontentment is a, a very natural thing. I know that existentially, personally, I know that. Experientially, um, I know that this word is a word from God for us. As you think about your life, where you are, as you think about what you were when you were called to be a Christian, called by Christ, into fellowship with Christ, as you think about your situation right now, as you think about all of that, I want you to ask the question, am I learning to be content because I have a heart for the Lord in whatever particular calling I'm called? That's the big, that's the million dollar question. Am I seeking to learn contentment in the place where God has called me? Or am I like a a troubled wave of the sea, just driven around, just tossed around, turmoiled, No peace, no rest. There's rest in Jesus. There's rest in Jesus. There's rest at the cross. It was Augustine, remember, who, before his conversion, was like a troubled sea. And it was Augustine, after his conversion, that says, his soul is restless until it finds rest in me. And so Paul is saying that we find rest by realizing our identity in Christ, that Christ has called us in particular situations, that he has placed us there, and that God wants us to be useful there. And so secondly, Paul is going to tell us in the rest of this chapter, and I don't want us to get bogged down with all the nuances of of, uh, engagement and whether you should marry or not. We'll touch on that. But notice now, secondly, Paul says that he wants us to have a mindset of the brevity of life and the eternality of the hereafter, the brevity of life and the eternal realities to come. And notice that as Paul moves down now to the engaged, notice what he says in verse 29 to 31. This is, highlight this in your Bible. He says, this is what I mean, brothers. The time is short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, those who mourn as though they were not mourning, those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, those who buy as though they had no goods, those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. Now, here's what Paul's saying. Paul is not saying, Paul's not saying, if you're married, men, you should ignore your wife and go to Africa like David Livingston did. That's not what he's saying. That would be sin. You are commanded to love your wives as Christ loved the church, and being a Christian husband means pouring yourself out for your wife more than people in the world would do. But it is possible, it's possible for us to make idols out of anything. It's possible for us to hold too tightly to anything. And so what Paul is going to do in telling us that the time is short, he's saying, listen, The time is short. The world is passing away. Your life is a vapor. Jonathan Edwards says your life is a bubble on water. That's what you are. 
You're a bubble in water. That's what I am. I laid in bed last night thinking about a quote that I had read uh, by Richard Sibbs. And it left me a bit unsettled, actually. Sib says, if we were told that within two days we'd die, it would startle us. But who knows that you'll live two hours. The time is short. If you were told that you would live two more days, the doctor tells you 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 have two days to live, that's it. You would be startled. And Sib says, but who knows that you're going to live two hours. The time is short. We don't like to think that. We don't like to be told that. That's reality. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. I laid in bed and I thought, God doesn't need me. And God could say, Nick, I'm done with you. I'm done with you. I don't need you anymore. I never needed you. God doesn't need anything. He's using us. He's used us. The time is short. David will say it's like a vapor, like a breath, a single breath, 70 years. David, Moses says, what is your life? 60, 70 years, if by strength, what is that to eternity? Um, And so Paul wants us to take seriously that as God has given us these good things, as he's given us wives and husbands, as he's given us things that make us rejoice, even as there are experiences in our life that make us mourn and weep, that all of those things are to be measured by the measurement of the time that we have on this earth. Any experience that you have is to be measured by the measurement of the time that you have. You know, uh, Dave Matthews sings a song, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That is the Bible of the unbeliever. The Apostle Paul says, the time is short. Let those who are merry be as though they were not. Let those who mourn as though they didn't mourn. Let those who weep. Let those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Let those who possess as if they did not possess. And that means hold lightly to things. You know, Samuel Davies... Because I I think about this. I think about what if God took my wife and children? Samuel Davies evidently held lightly to those things. That they didn't crush him and destroy him. That he could set his face steadfastly to continue the ministry that God had called. He counted the cost. He, He knew that time was short. He lived 37 years and did more than most men and women will ever do. That's the secret to productivity. If you want to leave your mark... For the glory of God in this world, the secret is know that the time is short. Know that the world is passing away. This stuff isn't going to last. It's not going to last. It's going to burn up. God says that it's all going to burn up with a devouring fire when Jesus comes back. And you know what? On Judgment Day, let me say this emphatically. On Judgment Day, nobody is going to be able to help you but Jesus Christ. The only person that will help you on Judgment Day, I will not help you. Let me... Let me warn you, I will not be there to help you on Judgment Day. Your spouse will not be there to help you on Judgment Day. Your possessions, all of your experiences will do nothing for you on Judgment Day. Jesus, Jesus Christ, is the only advocate that can stand for you on Judgment Day and make you to stand. And Paul's saying all of that. He's saying all of that in these things. Notice that... He says to them now in verse 32, he doesn't say these things to make them worried. He says, I say these things so that you would be free from concern. Have you ever seen a Christian who doesn't seem to carry the weight of problems and yet is exceedingly fruitful for the Lord? I've seen a few such Christians 
who know God is in control, who know that even difficult situations have been appointed by him, and yet who are exceedingly fruitful because they've learned to be free from concern. They're not holding on to idols. They're not taking the bull by the horns and trying to make it happen. They know that God has appointed them, and they know that they're heading for an eternity. Um, You know, this is not popular, as I usually tell you. I was talking to my friend um, Naz the other day, some of you know, and and we said uh, a a theology of hold loosely to possessions and hope and glory won't build a megachurch, but it'll build megachristians. A theology of hold loosely to possessions and goods and hope and glory will not build a megachurch, but it will build mega-Christians. That's the secret. That's the secret to Christianity. The secret to a fruitful Christian life is to believe these things. Now, I'm going to say, I guarantee you some of you don't believe this. I guarantee you. I don't know the hearts of everybody here. I, I guarantee you in a mixed multitude like this, there are some who do not believe this. If you are one such person, I am exhorting you to say, Lord, you have to change my heart. You have to make me know the frailty of my days. David prayed that. Did you know that David, mighty King David, prayed, Lord, make me to know how frail I am. Make me to know the measure of my days. He actually said that's the key to getting a heart of wisdom. If I gave you a week to live, what would you do? Would you take the Dave Matthews route or the Samuel Davies route? You got a week. If you know the time is short, if you know there's an eternity awaiting you, um, I guarantee you this too, and I don't talk about hell a lot with you. I don't. I guarantee you that everyone in hell right now wishes they had counted that the time was short. Amen. And hell will not be short. I guarantee you there's not one person in hell that didn't wish that they had counted during this short period that the time was short. Listen, this is not a game. This is not a joke. This is not me trying to guilt you into anything. This is reality. This is a a wake-up call. And, And so if we get caught in all of the nuances of should I get married or not, what we're really doing is we're getting bogged down. That's what the Corinthians were doing. They were getting bogged down. Now, all those things matter. Paul's going to go on and he's going to say, you know, if it's possible, if you have the gift of singleness and you, you've been engaged to a woman, but you really think you might have the gift, you can do more for the Lord. It would be better for you not to marry her. Uh, but you know what? If you don't have that gift, get married. That's good. That's right. Paul's already covered that. Marriage is good. Celibacy is good. The only thing that's bad is sexual immorality. Marriage is good. Singleness is good. You can do more for the Lord if you're single. You have to serve your husband and wife and meet their needs if you're married. But you can still have an eye to the Lord, even in marriage. Um, I do think when Paul says, and he goes through all of this at the end, notice what he says in verse 35. He says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Most of the adults in this room have lived longer than the Lord Jesus lived. Most of the adults seated here have lived longer than Jesus Christ lived. He li- I've lived longer than Jesus lived. Um, Jesus did not hold fast to anything in this world. There were times when he was prodded to go up to a feast and show off his power, and he said, it's not my time. 
Jesus didn't hold to family and make an idol out of family. When the people came and said, look, your mom and your brothers are outside and they're trying to see you, he says, these are my mother and my brothers. Jesus held loosely to the things of this world because he had come from glory and was going to glory and was preparing a place for us in glory. And as I've said to you in the past, had Jesus not held loosely, had Jesus not counted the shortness of the time, had Jesus not realized everything that he told us experientially, we would not be redeemed. But Paul says, listen, you, verse 22, are a bondservant of Christ. You were bought at a price. Right in the middle of this chapter, just like at the end of chapter 6, you were bought at a price. The last thing I want you to do is go home today and try to whip yourself into obedience with the things I've said. I don't want you to do that. Soberness, brokenness, humility, meekness, prayerfulness, yes, all those things. But foundational to everything that Paul has said is that the Corinthians and you, if you're a believer, have been bought with a price. That means you belong to Jesus. That's the key to all of it. It's the key to being content where you are. It's the key to counting the shortness of time. It's the key to know the passing uh, uh, frailty of the world, the passing fading nature of everything, including your spouse. It's the key to everything. So I want to ask you, do you believe that you were bought with a price? Do you believe that Jesus owns you? If you're a Christian, you are one who is saying, I am owned by Jesus. He owns me. He purchased me. I am not my own. I am his bondservant. The only reason he gave you a life is that you would glorify him with it. It's the only reason you have breath. It's not any of your pursuits. It's not any of my interests. None of it. The only reason that you exist is to glorify God. You know, God says that in Isaiah 42. He says to Israel, in the context of redemption, this people whom I have created for my glory, this people whom I have created for my glory, you were created and you were redeemed so that you might live like Samuel Davies did. How marvelous wouldn't it be if Jesus tarries, if in 70, 100 years, somebody read about you, read about some difficult situation that you had in your life, read about how you counted the cost, counted that the time was short, that you didn't live for self, that you didn't hold on to the world's goods as though that was everything, that you held loosely to those things, and that they saw the way that you responded to those situations, and God got glory through that. Because at the end of the day, it's not Samuel Davies, it was the Jesus of Samuel Davies that enabled him to do those things. Christ and his grace on his people enables us to respond to these things. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear this morning what the Spirit says to this church. Let's pray. Father, these are weighty truths, and yet they are truths that we need to hear, that I need to hear, and that your people need to hear, and that we need to be reminded of time and time again. Our Father, we need you to teach us to number our days, that we might get a heart of wisdom. We need you to help us count the cost, that you would help us to see the futility and the frailty and the, and the, the passing nature of the things around us, that you would make us eternally minded and heavenly minded, that you would make us to long to be in glory with our Savior who has bought us with his precious blood. 
Father, we pray that our lives would be lives that exhibit that we do know and believe these things. We ask you to give us contentment, Lord. We have many times been discontent. I have many times been dis- discontent. We pray that, that we as your people would learn contentment through that gospel that you have given us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you endured. We thank you that you counted the cost, that you um, considered that the time was short, that you held perfectly loosely to the things of this world. We thank you that you atoned for our sins and that you rose again victorious. We thank you that we are complete in you, that we are accepted in you, that we are washed in you, that we are adopted in you, that we have an eternal home waiting us because you have gone to Calvary and made a place for us. Lord Jesus, please help us to believe this. Give us that supernatural gift of faith. If there are any here this morning that have never counted that cost, we pray that you would grant them the grace to do so. Lord, be at work in the hearts of all the men and women, boys and girls present here. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.